You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. Depending on who you ask about what they felt when they first saw the Enterprise in the 1970s, you're either going to hear about a dewy-eyed Kirk getting a languidly lovely tour of the uprated Enterprise in the first Star Trek movie, or you're going to hear space history nerds, like myself, getting dewy-eyed because we remember watching the Space Shuttle Enterprise dropping off the back of a Boeing 747 on live TV on this day in 1977. I'm Earl Green, and this is your Sci-Fi 5, five minutes of science fiction history for August 12th. And today it's time to cast your mind back to that summer day when all of the networks broke into their daytime programming to show the American public their first glimpse of a space shuttle in flight. Not strapped to its external fuel tank and solid rocket boosters, but gliding to its first landing at the dry lake bed runway at Edwards Air Force Base in the Mojave Desert. The first flight of the shuttle Enterprise was part of the home stretch of a series of flights NASA called ALT, or Approach and Landing Tests, but this was far from the beginning of Enterprise's flight tests. Throughout 1977, Enterprise had been hitching rides on the back of NASA's specially modified 747 shuttle carrier aircraft to gather practical data on how aerodynamic it was, whether the 747 could safely carry it to the speed and altitude required to detach the shuttle so it could land on its own, and to determine how reliable the shuttle's redundant computer systems were before dropping it off in mid-flight and leaving the two test pilots aboard to entrust their lives to those systems. Some of the earliest tests were simply there to determine if the 747 could safely taxi down the runway and reach takeoff speed while carrying the dead weight of, you know, an entire space shuttle on its back. And while it was possibly the best photo op of any kind that anybody could have found in 1977, a lot was riding on the five free flights of the Enterprise. Space Shuttle Enterprise's only solo flights took place in the approach and landing tests. It was always intended to be the test vehicle for the shuttle program, allowing engineers to validate the aerodynamic properties of the shuttle and to see if it could pull off a return from space that relied entirely on gliding with no engines. With the attitude control thrusters useless in Earth's atmosphere, there were no go-arounds or wave-offs for a returning shuttle. It had only one opportunity to land. Extensive modeling and wind tunnel testing had validated most of the approach and landing procedure, but there was really only one way to fully test them, and that was to carry the shuttle to an altitude of 7 kilometers, or about 24,000 feet, separate the shuttle from the aircraft carrying it, and let the two test pilots aboard each flight make their way to the ground from 7 kilometers high at a starting speed of 500 kilometers per hour, a good approximation of a shuttle returning from orbit. Enterprise was never equipped with working engines, and for the first three flights the dummy engines mounted on the shuttle were covered by an aerodynamic tail fairing bolted onto the back of the vehicle. Only on the last two ALT flights were the engines exposed, fully replicating the aerodynamic profile of a shuttle returning from space. But consider the possibility that in addition to all of the useful engineering data collected, the five flights of the Enterprise had a powerful effect on those watching from outside the cockpit. There hadn't been an American astronaut in space for two years, and some observers felt that the shuttle program was going nowhere fast. 
Seeing the Enterprise in flight proved that NASA was progressing in its aim to create a reusable spacecraft. And to a generation of 70s kids whose minds had just been blown by a little movie called Star Wars, here was proof that maybe something as aerodynamic as Luke Skywalker's X-Wing wasn't just science fiction. The future was coming in fast for a landing at Edwards Air Force Base. This has been 5 Minutes of Science Fiction History, your daily Sci-Fi 5 for August 12th. Sci-Fi 5 is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.